Hello, hello, listeners near and far. This is Kim C, and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King, a podcast where this host can't get enough of the 2006 novel, Lisey's Story. Welcome, welcome, friends, to the continued coverage of 2021's brand new Apple TV series, the adaptation of Lisey's Story. It's episode three, and I have decided, because the love for Lisey, the novel, is running so deep, the well is just overflowing. I gotta do each episode. There is so much to say. There is so much to celebrate. I'm having a wonderful time thus far, and the deeper we go, the more I love it, and the more I'm grabbing from the book, uh, all that good stuff. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about what we saw. Ergo, it is highly recommended that you finish episode three, The Yum Yum Tree, which just aired last night. Unless you have crazy superpowers or media prowess where you're able to get uh, other episodes aside from the third one. But I watched episode three last night. We're around that 18 hour mark of post watch. So I've got my notes together. I'm ready to talk about it. So, what we're going to do in this episode is absolutely discuss what I observed, what my favorite scene was, breakout performance. Performance. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of book comparison. So if you haven't watched the episode, go ahead and hang back just a little bit. If you have not or don't plan to watch the episode, that's okay too. Um, just know not only am I going to be revealing what I saw on the show, but I'm also going to bring in the book a little bit. So if you're reading the book right now and you want to remain spoiler free, we should probably pump the brakes. So just a forewarning, if you are wanting to uh, have some things potentially spoiled for you and you don't mind, then go ahead and hang out with us. We're happy to have you. But uh, if you really want to remain spoiler free, let's wait until you're all done with Lisey's story. Must, must, must finish this novel, guys. I won't stop (laughs) proclaiming how important that is. So please finish the novel Lisey's story and then go ahead and subscribe to Apple TV and plug in with the first three episodes and catch up with us because, oh my god, I am so happy. Um, I am uh, thrilled and uh, we're going to talk about why. So firstly, I want to do a little summary of last night's episode. So what we have going on, what some of the main scenes we saw was, of course, our villain, Mr. Yellow Jacket himself, Jim Dooley, we get some good creepy scenes of him in the background. We really get to see that icky, obsessed fan as Lisey views a video he has posted to a Scotland and fan website. Super creeptastic. Um, and really quick, before I dive into the summary of the episode, for those of you who have read the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, which is... Uh, Bill Hodges Connected. That's where we've got Holly Gibney. Uh, There are three novels in that trilogy. Mr. Mercedes, um, 
Finders Keepers and End of Watch. And in two of the novels, there's a villain, Brady Hartsfield. And Brady Hartsfield's calling card is this yellow smiley face, uh, kind of, um, it looks like an emoji, but it's just the yellow smiley face. And for some reason, guys, Jim Dooley's yellow jacket in the show was making me think of Brady Hartsfield a little bit, or maybe just potentially connecting the fact that yellow is representative of bad? I don't know. Like a king villain, like yellow, I don't know. More on that rabbit hole in a little bit, but in last night's episode, we have Jim Dooley being super creepy. He has actually set up a fire uh, in a barn down the road in order to call away the police guard that has been watching over Lisey's home. So what we do have at the end of the episode is Jim Dooley 100% snooping around Scott's office. He is inside the barn. He is rummaging and he has got his hands on the box that says unpublished manuscripts. What's even creepier is Lisey is inside with her sister. They are very close by and this is all happening at the same time. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Lisey's still on her bull hunt and in this episode we really get a greater idea of what the bull hunt is as we have an awesome, heartbreakingly good flashback into young Scott Landon's life. We see him as a boy as well as his older brother Paul and the bull hunts or scavenger hunts that his brother Paul used to set up for him. It is such a precious scene. I loved it where he gets these little notes as clues and he just wanders around the little farm looking for the prize. And the prize, of course, in the episode was a bottle of soda, uh, but it could have been a candy bar. So I loved that scene. But Lisey's on her own bull hunt and the clue she finds is in Goodma's cedar box in uh, Amanda's house. And it's a piece of goldenrod fabric. It's like a goldenrod yellow color, not the yellow of Jim Dooley, the very different kind of yellow for any painters out there. I would say, uh, I don't know if it's goldenrod. It's like maybe an ochre, um, if that <laughs> if that's a yellow, O-C-H-R-E, I don't know. Uh, I'm really bad at art stuff and colors, but like a mustardy goldenrod yellow, which is reminiscent of the Afghan, the African for my book readers out there. I think it actually might be the exact same fabric. So we see that bull clue uh, really help Amanda, and that's where we get some direct book reference of Amanda's nickname from Lisey, which is Amanda Bunny. So there's that, and uh, we get to see Amanda at the pool. She is still in Booyah Moon. Super creepy. Um, only this time, Booyah Moon, for me, in this episode, seemed much more sinister. Amanda is effectively trapped. She's trying to get out. She's trying to go home. And we have a pretty harrowing scene of self-harm where she mutilates her arm with some hospital scissors. Whew, it's it's a little, it's a yikes one, guys. So watch out if you are triggered by any self-harm or if anybody you know is triggered by it, please give them a heads up. We got a lot of blood. We got a lot of yucky. So we got some bad gunky for my book readers out there. So watch out. But 
I think it's manageable in its grotesqueness because there's actually a message on Amanda's arm. She's trying to get Lacey's attention. She's trying to escape the pool and Booyah Moon. And uh, I'm loving the pool, guys. I'm just loving the weirdness, my God. So my hypothesis, if I could deviate for a quick second, the kind of um, Dali-esque, the Salvador Dali surrealist imagery of these people that look like they're in stretchy plastic bags around them. I wonder if that's the amount of years they've been at this pool and this like stretchy gauze shroud is over their bodies or something. That's my guesstimate, my hypothesis. I'm wondering if that's how they're visually representing people who have just spent millennia at the pool because it seems like a in-between world of timelessness and the other gnarly thing from last night's episode Scott is at the pool and as far as we know as the reader um, well as the viewer I don't know if it's been in black and white if they've said exactly how many years I don't remember from the first two episodes if it's if they've indicated how many years he's been gone but it's two it's two years in the novel but Scott is at the pool and he's kind of whispering to Amanda and he's he's wearing a hoodie we can't really see his face but it's it's Scott and that intrigues me greatly um regarding his soul and what they're gonna do with that because oh man so she uh so Scott's at the pool and um the pool is a sinister place in this episode guys and in the last installment and I don't know if it's come across in my previous Lisey story episode. <sighs> this is one of the uh, one other side tangent, guys. So my Lisey story episode was very, very early in the podcast, and I think I was still sort of uh, <laughs> figuring things out and didn't realize that you know I could keep talking, I I could keep going, and I think it was. I, I look back on it, I listened to it, and I think I started off strong, but I think I ended too soon because this novel needed a lot more time, a lot more blabber um, in terms of my actual Lisey Story episode. So if anybody's listened to it and feel I just scratched the surface, you're probably right. So hopefully I can supplement uh, lots of Lisey Story stuff by exploring these episodes with everybody, which I am so excited to do. But anyway, um, the Lisey uh, Scott at the pool moment was very intriguing to me and I love that we're seeing the duality of it, the sinister side first, the creepy people whispering, and we got mention last night of the long boy. Readers of the novel, you know what that is, and uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time to Lisey's story, it's not a good thing. There is a malevolent presence inside of Booyah Moon, and you have to be quiet, and it's a dangerous place to be when the sun goes down at night. So, that is a quick summation of what we saw last night, and so I want to talk about some of my observations in this next little chunk of the episode, we're going to look at uh, just where my thoughts are. I'm going to let you know my favorite scene, my favorite performance of the episode, 
And I think we really do need to explore the text a little bit. I have a short paragraph I'm going to share with you because, yeah, this is a pivotal one, guys. The yum yum tree in the novel is quite a big moment for the characters of Lisi and Scott. So let's talk about it. I'll see you in the next section. All right, baby loves, let's dive more into episode three, The Yum Yum Tree. And we're going to start with my ultra scribbled notes because a uh, note to anyone out there, if you are wanting to take notes, probably best to wait till the episode is over. But in the moment, sometimes that's very difficult to do. So it's very hard to read what I wrote down as it was dark and the TV was my only source of light and I was trying to watch at the same time. So we have some very weird scribbles going on. But one of the first notes I wrote was in regards to the intro. Um, my friends, what do we think about this like creepy Pinocchio introduction we've got going on? on to Lisi's story. What are your thoughts? Because uh, this marionette thing, I like it. It's very weird. A uh, little creepy. If anybody, I think if you are somebody who is afraid of dolls, any kind of dolls, clown dolls, this is scratching that a little bit. I think like puppety marionette stuff. <laughs> That, yeah, I think that, that works because I'm like, I'm a little scared of this. But what I noticed last night and for the next episode, see if you guys notice it as well if you watch it. Basically, I'm asking you to not skip it. <laughs> Don't skip the intro. But what I noticed is we have Marionette Lisi, right? We start with her kind of on the ground. She rises up. And then she goes through water. She goes through a wall of water. And on the other side of that wall of water is where she can meet Scott. Well, I found that very poetic, very symbolic, very telling, my friends. What do you think? Because I'm really enjoying what they're doing thus far with the symbol of water in these few episodes thus far. We are gathering as the viewer how important it is, what a catalyst it is, the healing nature of it, and perhaps the menacing nature of it because Booyah Moon is dualistic. It's good and bad, lots of cool stuff, but I found it very beautiful and kind of hauntingly sweet that Lisi has to cross through the water to meet Scott and that was very precious and lovely and I'm loving thus far in these three episodes just how many moments these really powerful visual scenes of a sink full of water and it is associated with sort of this magical teleportation, this connection with Scott being able to disappear with an almost overflowing sink full of water. So the water, my guys. But next time, 
you watch the intro, kind of study it a little bit. I think there's a lot there. With the actual letters, the wooden letters of the show, there's a hand. You know, we see the the hand that is puppeting. Uh, that hand is also made of wood. So if you want to nerd out, I think the intro is a place to do that. But I I took notice this time. So let me know what you think of Lisi going through the water in order to get to Scott and what that could mean in this adaptation based on what you already know from reading the book because I'm not gonna stop bothering you guys. We gotta read Lisi. We got to read it. We must, we must, we must. So based on what you guys know from the novel, what are your thoughts? So my next sort of observation uh, from this episode is we have Lisi and Scott on their honeymoon, uh, perceived honeymoon, which is a little lodge called the Antlers, which I got some Overlook vibes. I know I'm not alone. I got some Overlook vibes. They're the only people there. Snowden, hotel, you're not alone if you went right to Sidewinder, Colorado. I don't think they're in Colorado. It sounds like they're somewhere close to home. But then they uh, head out on a walk toward the yum yum tree and that's the title of our episode it is the sort of epicenter of lots of stuff so i wanted to talk about the yum yum tree because i was thumbing through the novel and this is a big deal uh for lisi and scott within the story because in the novel this outing is before they are married they are definitely in love. This is post um, Scott putting his arm through the glass. So Lisi is, you know, she's got her eyes open to who this guy is, but they are in love and I think they do plan to marry. And this is a very romantic date and uh, they have a picnic. So it's not just a walk in the woods, it's actually a picnic. And they've got wine and sandwiches and pie. They're under this tree, which is very warm. I felt the show did a beautiful job representing it so cool but in the novel we actually find out that Scott does not want to have children slash can't due to his very painful past which this episode showed <sighs> in beautiful slash horrific detail more on that in a little bit but uh, this yum yum tree is not actually I at least in the chapter I'm reading, and this is why this book is so nuts, it just needs constant rereads to stay fresh, I think that they do go to Puya Moon, but it's very slight, kind of like what happened in the show. It is a very small little segue where they're able to get there, and I love, guys, how the show um, indicated when Scott's getting really emotional and thinking about the past. More on that in a little bit. But the yum yum tree in the novel is actually where Scott tells Lisi, I can never be a father. You can never be a mother with me. Like, are you okay with that? And I wanted to read this short paragraph for you guys because it's really beautiful and very powerful. And I'm wondering if the show's going to touch on it a little bit. Um, so this is inside the American hardcover on page 221. I love you too much to lie to you, Lisi. I love you with all that passes for my heart. I suspect that kind of all-out love becomes a burden to a woman in time, but it's the only kind I have to give. 
I think we're going to be quite wealthy. I think we're going to be quite a wealthy couple in terms of money, but I'll almost certainly be an emotional pauper all my life. I've got the money coming, but as for the rest, I've got just enough for you, and I won't ever dirty it or dilute it with lies. Not with words, I say, not with the ones I hold back. He sighs, a long, shuddering sound, and places the heel of the hand holding the cigarette against the center of his brow as if his head hurts. Then he takes it away and looks at her again. No kids, Lisi. We can't. I can't. And that's a huge scene because Lisi really gets her heart broken a little bit. She asks if it's like a medical thing, if you know, if there's anything that can change his mind. And then we get the really terrible flashback that the episode shows in which Scott was made to jump off of a very high sort of barn roof from his father. And this is where we see for the first time young Paul Landon, who is Scott's older brother. I think I thought he was his younger brother, but I got that wrong. So Paul is Scott's older brother. And we get that first glimpse of this family unit and the first introduction to Andrew Sparky Landon, as he's called in the book, who is played by actor Michael Pitt. Uh, Wow. That was quite a performance, and for you book readers, do you agree with me that it was amazing? Because, okay, so <laughs> Sparky Landon in the novel, guys, is kind of horrifyingly, bombastically, mentally ill. Like, this man is, oh, he's consumed by uh, mental illness. He is terribly abusive to his boys and to himself. And uh, I think in the book, he is really over the top, uh, especially with his own sort of coded language. He's the one who teaches um, uh, Scott and Paul about like bad gunky. And uh, you gotta, he, he's that influence about cutting and that you've got bad in you. You gotta let it out, um, all kinds of yucky stuff. And so I think Michael Pitt does a really nice job kind of giving a more understated, at least in this first introduction. Like, it's bad. It's really bad. But it's not even close to where the book goes with Sparky Landon. So more on that in a little bit. But what I'm getting to with this first, uh, or with this third installment, guys, is my main point, <laughs> there's so much to say. I'm loving everything so much. Um, my main point is that I feel this show is for us, the readers. So friends, do you agree with me on that? Here's my thoughts. Cause when I was watching this episode, we see Scott and Landon kind of walking towards the tree and there's several moments in the show where it's kind of slowed down a little bit. There aren't quick cuts like a lot of shows these days that are just getting to the action, getting to the main point. This is more of a slow-moving art piece. And I couldn't, I was so grateful for reading the book as I was watching this last episode, guys. I was like, thank God. Because every frame of it for me is like, oh my gosh, 
the novel is coming to life. Oh my gosh, I'm loving this. Oh, it's the yum yum tree. Oh my God, they're walking under the yum yum tree. Ah! So I was so excited because I read this novel twice by now. And um, I just, but at the same time, in my other observation, I was like, if I hadn't, if I hadn't read this book, if I was totally a blind viewer coming to it, I don't know if I would be freaking out as much, of course. I think I couldn't help but remember slash recall Twin Peaks. I think that this would be very attractive to a Twin Peaks viewer or somebody who really is into David Lynch stuff because there's a lot of curiosity and a lot of unknown and I think it requires a patient viewer. It requires someone who's willing to just let something unfold and that's becoming rarer and rarer these days, I think rarer or more rare. <laughs> it's becoming more rare, we'll say. So um, I feel as of episode three, I was just watching it and I was like, oh my god, this one's for the readers. This show is completely for us. I've also taken a pick, um, a pick, peek. <laughs> I've taken a peek at some early reviews of the show. These are journalists who have had the great privilege of watching all of the episodes thus far, which I'm insanely envious over here. But they uh, have concluded that it's going to sort of unravel a little bit. And of course it is, because this book is nutballs. Like, this is the most experimental, artistic, off-the-wall novel, I think, in King's catalog that I've encountered thus far. So it's like, of course, typical linear uh, plot observers are going to have that conclusion, potentially. And that's why, for me, as of episode three, I'm just 100% uh, solid in my stance of this is for the readers. This is 100% for those of us who have read this novel, who have slogged through the the jumps, the, the magical realism, the weird language, the code, the uh, off-the-wall bits. This is for us. This is a visualization for us who have done the work and walked the path and been really confused and kept go going, kept slogging. I don't think it's for the traditional viewer, personally. I think if you're a Twin Peaks fan and you're really patient, you might like it. But I, I got the vibe yesterday watching episode three. I'm like, you know, I don't know, guys. I don't know how it's going to fare for those who haven't read this novel yet. So if you are somebody who hasn't read Elise's story and you are watching the show, I would love to know your thoughts. If you could write in to underratedsk at gmail, I am all ears on the viewer experience regarding this one because this is such a polarizing book, as I've said before in other episodes. It's for an advanced reader, not only an advanced reader in general, but an advanced king reader. This one is just a oil and water amongst the constant reader community. So if you haven't read it, but you're enjoying the show, I would love to know your thoughts. So please take the time to write in and I would love, love, love to hear from you. But kind of jumping to my next point, I do have a question for everybody. Um, I should have thumbed through this a little bit more, but uh, in the novel, I don't remember if Lisi, if there were any unpublished manuscripts left behind by Scott other than what we find at the end of the book, which is 
different. Um, trying to avoid spoilers there with, uh, I know that's a little ambiguous, but there is one unpublished thing, but it's for Lisi and Lisi only. So I'm a little curious about that because in this episode three, we have Jim Dooley inside the office and there is a box in big, bold capital letters that says unpublished manuscripts. And I don't remember if there was anything in the book for Lisi to protect. I like, I think that there wasn't anything. I think that there really was no unfinished work other than what she kind of discovers, and it's specifically for her. So, yeah, I'm kind of noticing that in interpolation a little bit, that change, and, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But my question is to all of you, am I getting that wrong? Was there something in the novel? Did he have unpublished material that Dooley actually gets his hands on? Because I, I don't think so. I think that that was, I think uh, Lisi felt so confident in like screaming, there is nothing, you moron. There's no unpublished anything. Like, there's nothing here. It's I'm I'm not the Yoko here. I didn't ruin Scott. I didn't I'm not hoarding like Smaug the Dragon any like golden unpublished works. There's nothing. He left nothing to be discovered, etc. However, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so let me know if there is something unpublished in the novel because that will illuminate things a little bit more. And so my next point, um, and this is my favorite scene, we're going to talk about favorite scene and then breakout performance. My favorite scene, guys, is most definitely the beautiful moment with Scott and Lisi under the yum yum tree and this is where we have a very powerful uh, memory that a very powerful scene of vulnerability from Scott to Lisi where he's revealing the horrible abuse from his father the horrible torture and torment from his mentally ill father and his brother and it's very painful and the water the water around the yum yum tree so i reread the chapter in the novel to make sure that that wasn't a thing it's not so this is new this is cool um he I think, unless I didn't read the chapter far enough, so I might have missed something. Forgive me if I'm totally dropping the ball in regards to text to show um, comparisons, but I love the scene where we see and hear the water flooding in around Lisi and Scott, and she starts to panic a little bit. She's like, oh my god, and that's when, you know, we get this Scott moment and the transportation slash teleportation. We don't know what, if it's just like a mental dream jump to Booyah Moon, and they're there for an unspecified amount of time. I believe in the novel it was very short. I think it was just enough for Lisi to kind of see the tropical flora, and she's like, oh my god, we were in the dead of winter, and now we are in the jungle. Like, the humid, fragrant, floral jungle, what the hell? So, but I love that as Scott is recalling the pain of the past, the water comes rushing in and 
the pool is in him, which we saw in, I believe it was episode two, where he just shoots water into Amanda's mouth, which was wild. Very cool, but wild. So the water is a part of Scott, or he can, it's either just in him, or he can call to it at any time. Maybe it's just the trauma of his life that is the source of this water. I have no idea. We could nerd out for days on what this water actually is. But the water rushing in. I loved that so much. Such a cool scene. So what did you guys think about that part? Because um, the Yum Yum Tree is a very special scene in the novel. Lots going on. Lots revealed between Lacey and Scott. And then we get this really cool channeling of water where the viewer gets to really see Scott's power and his ability to maybe yield or wield wield yeah wield and connect to it which I like because we don't really get that in the book um, I think it's much more of a delicate touch in regards to just how Scott is able to go there and do this and you know we we see him hurt himself a lot we see the demons and their kind of destructive effects on him. Um, for example, in the picnic at, under the yum yum tree, the um, innkeeper made them, you know, gave them a bottle of wine. And this is where King first indicates that Scott drank almost the entire bottle by himself without really saving a lot for Lisi, which we may see in the show as Scott will struggle um, with alcoholism. I don't know if they're going to put that in the show, um, but in the novel, it's a very huge part of Scott's and Lacey's marriage. So, something to keep an eye out for. But we're going to talk about my final point, um, favorite performance, and that is definitely, even though he scares me, and even though he looks like Charles Manson, I was really impressed by actor Michael Pitt's performance of Andrew Sparky Landon, because... Oh god, first of all, oh, my friends, that scene was so uncomfortable. Can we get an amen? Like, ugh. I wanted to ugh, close my eyes. I didn't want to watch it. It uh, once more the child stuff in this show, guys, is gonna suck. So if anybody is really sensitive right now and you just can't really see abuse of any kind, especially toward children, do your best to navigate through this show because it's intense and it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse, my baby love. So be cautious, be gentle with yourself. Um, what's down the pipe, as you know, concerning Paul is a suck fest and it's gonna be really hard to watch. I'm really hoping that they pan away and uh, leave a lot to the imagination because I'm not down for that. Um, but I couldn't help but admire and be in awe of uh, the guy who's taken on the responsibility of Andrew Sparky Landon because he is in the novel he's much more loud and ranting which we do get a little glimpse of but this one seems I like that in the episode we got to see his mania his sort of manic violence and then, you know, not that it's any better, but, you know, 
we got to see the the love he does have for his children in some weird foggy shrouded and craziness way uh i just think that sparky's character in the book is batshit guys it is oh it's nuts lots of screaming lots of weird weird um language choices used he uses smuck and sweet mother and um bad gunky uh and that's where paul and i believe well it's definitely scott or scooter as he's called or scoot gets the idea of the blood pool um the blood pool is when you let out the bad gunky you have to harm yourself in order to let the bad out which is where we see all of that self-harm but my favorite performance is most definitely michael pitt as andrew sparky landon they're in the middle of nowhere in this cabin his brain must be on fire with craziness and uh, with mental illness and he is just victimizing his two sons which is heartbreaking uh, but in addition to that I I just that's a tall order to read what Sparky is in the book which is this wild um, Manson-esque character that's just ranting and raving and making his sons do terrible things and hurting them and then the way that Michael Pitt, the actor, goes about it, which is in kind of like a slow burn, which I appreciated. He's got the he's got the craziness down and the um, shifty, sort of like a, a that sparking powder keg of ready to go off. But then he can turn it, turn the dial down. He can let the love and the light come out a little tiny bit, and then back to crazy. So this is going to be a tall order, and it looks like we're going to see him in several more episodes, so perhaps I'll feel differently as we move forward, but for yesterday, I was really impressed by what I saw thus far. I know that a lot of people are very excited about Dane DeHaan's performance as Jim Dooley, which I agree. I'm very uh, excited about it. He's bringing the creepy. He's bringing that really unsettling, unstable, which we found out in last night's episode, he has been committed for four years so we've got that mental illness thread also woven together with the characters of Amanda as well so Jim Dooley was uh definitely uh in a recovery a mental rehabilitation center for four years so there's there's a lot of that being explored but as much as I am excited about Dane DeHaan and Jim Dooley I'm even more excited about um, Sparky Landon and it's gonna suck because unfortunately all that we're gonna see is gonna be associated with the abuse of his sons Paul and Scott I'm not looking forward to that guys but I'm with you we're in it together we'll get through it because it's a very important part in the novel and it's the reason for everything regarding Scott it's the reason for Booyah Moon it's the reason for his marriage with Lisi, his childlessness, him being a best-selling horror novelist or suspense novelist. It's not exactly defined what genre it is, but 
it's the reason for everything, this trauma, this childhood trauma, which we know as constant readers that King does amazing things with childhood trauma, but it is hard to read and it's hard to go through. So be gentle with yourselves. We have more child abuse down the pipe, unfortunately, um, and more self-mutilation, more self-mutilation. <laughs> we, we got more blood, guys. Overall, we just have more blood, but don't worry. We're in it together. We're going to talk about it. We'll be okay. You've got a friend in Kim C and I'm the biggest Frady cat on the block and I'm going to, I'm going to watch walk the path with you. But that pretty much concludes all I wanted to say for episode three. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm loving it. I am enjoying Booyah Moon and the pool and all of the water symbolism. It is so layered and deep. And I'm liking that they're connecting Scott to it in a much deeper way that's so much more visual and powerful so uh hit me up with any questions or observations or anything that i missed from the novel if i got anything wrong or anything that you would like to say hey remember this part in the book please send that my way i would adore it but coming up i'm gonna do another episode on the upcoming fourth installment of the show. I am having such a good time. I adore Lisey's story. This novel is nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's so good and I can't stop thinking about it and now the show. Now we have the show to just nerd out for an additional, uh, let's see, five more episodes. I think we have eight. It's either eight or nine. Um, so I might be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure it's eight, um, but I'm going to be with you. So I hope you're enjoying the coverage. I would love to hear from you guys on any of the socials, underrated SK pod on Twitter and Insta. We are also at underrated SK at Gmail, where I am frequently checking emails, connecting with you beautiful people. Um, and yeah, let's get some thoughts about the novel and the show because I could talk about it all day long. So I hope all is well where you guys are listening and watching. So take care and I'll see you next week for episode four. Also, I'm reading the Tommy Knockers. So that'll be our next novel analysis coming up. So hopefully in the next week or two, I'll get my stuff together and we'll have another novel to dissect together. Thank you all so much for listening and writing in. Many hugs to you, baby loves, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.